have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Delu, and we are back to review a K-State loss at the hands of the Iowa State Cyclones, 33-20, and also look ahead to K-State's matchup on Saturday on the road at Lubbock, Texas against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. 11 a.m. kickoff for that contest on FS1. Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman on the call for that one. Oh, Timmy Brando. Timmy B production, baby. Absolutely. I'm, I, I'm a big Tim Brando. I really like Tim Brando, too. I, I do. I've always liked Tim Brando. He strikes me as kind of a wise guy. You, you know, he's been around for a while. You know, he just, he was like one of the initial people that worked at uh, ESPN. Oh, really? He yeah. was with uh, oh, he was with, and all those guys? Yeah, he was with, you know, Keith Olbermann, Dan Patrick, all those guys early on. So, yeah. Timmy B has been around. He called our 97 Fiesta Bowl. I did not know for that. For CBS. He called, he was the play-by-play guy. Wow. So, I know the last year, against I think it was against TCU, some K-State fans were really getting after Timmy B. Yeah. It was people, a sad look. People needed to just shut up. People just need to relax on Timmy. He's kind of an institution. He is. He is. And I'm glad to see him that he's going to be on the call. Yeah, me too. So, Tim, Tim Brando, Spencer Tillman on that one. And folks, this is a big one for K State. Zero and three here in the Big Twelve Conference. Three and three overall. Texas Tech five and two, two and two in Big Twelve play. Chance for the Red Raiders to get bowl eligible, and chance for K State to take a uh, to take another step towards getting uh, to bowl eligibility uh, with a, a much needed win uh, needed here for the Cats. So, before we go ahead and, and kind of look back at the Iowa State game. Dell, I want to talk to you about our buddies at Manhattan Brewing Company. I had the opportunity, and and I've got a, I had a about a 15, 17 minute podcast, a uh, little interview with them, and I'll, I'm going to post it in its own separate thing. So, folks, be sure to look for that. I'm going to be releasing at the same time as as this podcast will be, and had a great chance to uh, to speak with the guys over at Manhattan Brewing Company, and uh, getting just a given um, a little bit of a in-depth look at what they're doing over there, and uh, instead of you getting to hear me uh, read read uh, what they what they've got going on, you get to hear it from Adam, Garrett, and Jake themselves. So super cool getting the opportunity to meet with them, and you know, I want to tell you a little bit about them. Manhattan Brewing Company, heart of downtown Manhattan, four hundred six Points Avenue. Their motto, you know it by now, folks. We brew beer for the people of Manhattan because that's what we are and that's who we care about. They got a tremendous selection of beers on tap. 15 beers, all of which are brewed in-house now. I think they're up to 20 almost that, they, that they've got going on tap that's now. That's quite an operation. They do. They do. They've got a great operation over there. And there's something that will be sure to please any palate with that uh, great selection. Manhattan Brewing Company provides high-quality craft beer in a family-friendly atmosphere you can enjoy views of downtown Manhattan as you sip on some of their classics like the Townie, a wheat brew with citra hops, or the Conservation Kolsch, a light in color and body beer with a slightly fruity aroma and taste. Uh, with that conversation, Kolsch, conservation, conservation. I, I did it again, the Conservation Kolsch, one dollar of that pint goes to the Sunset Zoo to assist with their conservation efforts, so great cause there. Uh, and, you know, actually on Friday, they were at uh, the brew at the zoo, uh, at Sunset Zoo, had a nice little, uh, you know, get together there uh, to raise money for the zoo. Great cause there. So whether if you're looking for a place to watch the Wildcats play 
or just wanting to get together with your friends to catch up over a few beers, Manhattan Brewing Company is just a spot. That's Manhattan Brewing Company at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan. And uh, those guys were great to talk with and uh, had an opportunity to go check out the whole place. They got a tour. Uh, and they're willing to, you can go up and ask them for a tour anytime. That's uh, great. And uh, they, uh, they're happy to do it for you. You probably want to do it a little bit maybe earlier in the day just because it kind of gets busy in sure. there uh, throughout the day. But they're, they're happy to do that for you. They, they, they were telling me, and they'll, you'll hear it in the interview, uh, they're looking forward to having that something be something that they maybe have a, a standing day to where they do tours all day or, or whatever the case might be there. So great opportunity to go in, super great guys, and it was a, a fun experience to sit down with them. Did you like drinking the beer? Of course, I love the beer. Man. I know beer's about, beer's just about one of you. You know, two I had things. I had the conservation Kolsch. I had the um, their apple batch beer, which was really good. Terrific stuff. Love it. Love it. Can't get enough of it. What I didn't love though, you got to well, you got to watch you got to watch sports and drink beer this week. I did, and one was the, probably more the, satisfying. That's exactly what I was getting to. Is the beer drinking was was a little bit better than the uh, than the football watching. Unfortunately, uh, for the Cats on, on Saturday, as they drop one 33-20 to the Iowa State Cyclones. And, and D-Lou, in this game, gosh, if you want to drop the worst start possible, I think you might have seen it. I guess they could have returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown, but the first play from scrimmage goes 75 yards for Bryce Hall and uh, got the Iowa State Cyclones on the board early on Saturday. Yeah, it was... Uh... Just another real slow start for K-State. Um, you know, K-State, what a way to come out. I mean, you got the bye week. You got, oh yeah. you know, the, the defense had been kind of getting ragged on over these last two or three games. And uh, then the first play from scrimmage, you just give up a touchdown where Brees Hall really didn't have to do a whole lot. He uh, ran in almost a straight line and had to outrun uh, one Wildcat defender right around, you know, it was a race to the end zone. But uh, not a very challenged uh, 75-yard touchdown run there on the first play from scrimmage. Well, yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly pretty right. Pretty disappointing. It was a disappointing game, and we'll get more into that here in a little bit. But want to um, want to also talk about the offense. You know, kind of come out with a bit of a slow start, going three and out their first possession. Then uh, throw it a, an interception off Malik Knowles' hands. A little bit of a high pass, but one that he can definitely reel in. Iowa State gets a 10-0 lead they, after that uh, that turnover. They cash that in for a field goal. K-State answers with long uh, touchdown pass to Phillip Brooks on the next drive to cut it to 10-7. And then this K-State defense starts to settle in a little bit. Forcing a three and out um, after forcing two straight three and out. or Well, not two straight, but another one. Two three and outs in the first four possessions uh, for the K-State defense. And you know, K-State's got the ball down here, and this, I thought, was really the crucial stretch of the game, at least right. in the first half. And I know we talked about it a little bit off-air before we got on here today. K-State, trailing 10-7, has a nice drive going uh, into the south end zone. And a play that I want to bring up that I, in my opinion, I it was right in front of me. So I had a great view of it. Uh, I believe it was Tyrone Howell. Was the intended receiver? Right. It was. It was the first intent at the Iowa State twenty-two yard line. Yeah, twenty-two yard line. K State's driving down to take the lead or tie. Yeah, exactly. And pass goes over his head, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I thought there was holding or pass interference on Iowa State there in the end zone 
would have set K-State up inside the five to, inside the 10-yard line there to, to get a uh, to get a goal-to-go opportunity, perhaps. And goes uncalled. K-State ends up um, having to settle for a field goal attempt on that drive, which they miss. And right after that, Iowa State takes up the rest of the rest of the first half, really, on, on a long 13-play, uh, seven-minute drive, which they punch in for a touchdown. K-State um, has, to, has to punt and then, you know, go into halftime uh, with, a, with Iowa State kicking another field goal there to make it 20-7 to at halftime. And really, that was... At that point, it's like, well, this is going to be hard to even get back in this game. I mean, and at halftime, unless K-State was coming out like gangbusters, especially because Iowa State gets the ball at halftime. Um, no, K-State got the ball at halftime, oh, but they, go, they promptly caught right. the ball. So You're right. But but in any event, it you know it, it felt a lot, a little similar to the Oklahoma game, where right before half, K-State gives up a yeah, field goal on a drive where, you know, all you have to do is just keep them out of the 35-yard line or so. Uh, out of a with a minute and a half or so left on the clock, and K State's defense just uh, can't come up, uh, can't get off the field. And I felt like that inability to get off the field, especially on third downs. I mean that that long touchdown, that torturous uh, eighteen play touchdown drive they had. Yeah, right at the start of the second half. Right at the start of the second half, and then you have the the uh, thirteen play eighty yard seven minute touchdown drive in the first half there. I mean, it's just torture. It felt like Iowa State was doing to K-State what K- the best offenses of Snyder 2.0 would do against teams. Um, just stay ahead of the sticks and convert on third down and mid, third down and short, and just extend drives and grapple you into submission. Well, that, uh, that seemed to be the way it went. And, you know, really, you look, you mentioned the third downs. Iowa State goes 9 of 15 on third downs. And not only was Iowa State finding ways to get in the end zone uh, on their drives, they were, you know, converting on field goals, which which K-State, um, you know, had that big field goal miss, you know, with a chance to tie the game 10-10 on, the, uh, on that drive that I mentioned where, you know, I thought uh, there was pass interference there. It goes uncalled. K-State's not able to uh, pick up the first down on that drive and has to settle for, you know, really what should be a pretty makeable field goal inside of 40 yards. Uh, they, they don't do that. And that really kind of changed the way of that game right there. And really when I look at it, that drive where K-State didn't score and then you let Iowa State go down and score a touchdown right after that, really swung the momentum in, in the way of Iowa State. And, and quite frankly, they had that momentum for the rest of the game, and, and they never really looked back. Yeah, I mean, and it's this is just a game where the box score really tells the story. I mean, you mentioned the third down conversions for Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State converts 9 of 15. K-State does okay on third down, 6 of 11. But then you look at special teams. K-State misses some kicks. Iowa State's nails in the kicking game throughout the night. I mean... Van Winkle missed the field goal. He also missed an extra point. Um, yeah, then, off the upright. And then you look That's at the right. turnovers, and it's Iowa State turned K-State over once. K-State's defense, again, unable to uh, force a turnover out of the opposing offense for, boy, what, what is that? Is that three straight games without a turnover for us? I think we got one against Nevada. Mm-hmm. But um, in any event, it's, it's a simple game. I mean, 
it, Iowa State was better in all three phases, and uh, including turnovers, and K-State just wasn't able to match it. That's a lot to overcome uh, for a team like K-State, and we wasn't, weren't able to do it on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of sums up the game. You know, defensively, Iowa State really, I thought, did a good job of getting taking K-State out of really being able to run the ball much. K-State did run the ball for 136 yards. I saw a stat today that I think kind of tells the story. In K-State's three wins this season, have ran the ball for over 200 yards in each of those games. The three games they've lost, they have not ran the ball for 200 yards. Uh, now, 200 yards on the ground is quite a bit of yards. And for what this K-State offense wants to do, you know, I think they're going to have to run the ball. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be at 200 yards a game, because that's pretty tall ask. But for what K-State is really equipped to do, you have to feel that they don't want to really be throwing the ball 30 times a game. They would rather be in that 20 to 25 times a game Uh you know, role, but Iowa State, credit to them, they um, they they really were, like you said, the better team throughout the uh, the afternoon, or the evening, I should say, on Saturday. Well, I mean, here's the deal. I, I think uh, this K-State offense, I think, is, at this point, I'm, I'm comfortable calling the K-State offense pretty good. I think it's pretty good, and people will say, well, K-State only put up seven points on Saturday, I know, or seven points in the first half. I know, I get that. Uh, that said, it was an abnormally slowly paced first half. K-State didn't get many possessions. Uh, they had a miscue on turnover, and then they had a field goal go wide. But I do think the offense is pretty darn, is, is pretty good. Um, that said, it's not good enough to where they're not going to, K-State's offense isn't going to be able to play smash mouth against good defenses that don't let K-State play smash mouth. And, uh, that's what K-State faced on Saturday. And Iowa State committed to containing the run, even though K-State, K-State's running backs had some success. I mean, Deuce Vaughn averaged five and a half yards a carry. Irvin went for six yards a carry. Um, and so it's not like those were inefficient runs. No. Uh, but that said, I, I think K-State can survive. I mean, we saw it in the Oklahoma game, for example, where K-State's offense was throwing the ball a lot, I mean, proportionally. And so... And I, and I think the K-State offense played pretty well in the Oklahoma game and put up some points. Um, not enough, but they put up some points. I think the story of the Oklahoma game was really the defense. Um, but in any event, I K-State ideally would like to be able to just bowl teams over. But against good defenses, which I think K-State's played three good defenses so far. Yep. Um, Probably the three best teams in the Big 12. I don't think there's really... You could, you could maybe argue about Baylor getting into that mix. Maybe yeah. argue about... Certainly three of the top five. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's no question that... I mean, you could say Texas and Baylor are are in the mix with a team like Oklahoma State. Texas squeaked, or barely lost to Oklahoma State last yeah. weekend. Again, that game changed ahead. really quick. Too. Yeah, but, but in any event, I mean, I think it's clear that they've played three of the top five teams in the Big 12 so far. Um, and so it, it's a little hard to judge because I, I do think that the entire team and really especially the defense, um, it's a little camouflaged in terms of how good they actually are just because they've faced three decent teams to start the year. And once we get into the back half of the schedule, we start facing the Texas Techs and the Kansases and the 
the uh, West Virginias and, and the TCUs and some of these teams that are competent but not quite to the level of not Oklahoma State, State yeah. Iowa State, Oklahoma, that, um, y- you know, we start to feel a little bit better and have a better judgment of, of exactly where we are. Because I think it's very possible K-State could be the anywhere from the fifth to ninth best team in the conference. I don't think we're a top four team. I think that much is clear. Um, but I, it wouldn't shock me if we turn out to be better than Baylor this season. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if we turn out to be better than West Virginia or, or certainly Texas Tech or TCU. And so uh, I think once we get into the back half of the schedule, we'll have a better idea. Or it could turn out to be worse. We could say, wow, we are worse than we thought. Yep, it could um, be. There's, so there, a lot kind of, remains to be seen. That's kind of the one thing about how the schedule makers uh, made uh, the K-State schedule. Three, te- I mean, two teams with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State currently undefeated. Iowa State, a preseason top 10 team that, you know, when you see their game this week against Oklahoma State and Ames, Iowa State's a touchdown favorite in that game. So that kind of tells you what uh, what the folks out in the desert think maybe about uh, this Iowa State team. You know, you look at this and you say, well, now the schedule finally does kind of soften up for K-State. But right now there are plenty of question marks uh, yeah. up, up and down the offensive side of the ball, up and down the defensive side of the ball, probably more so. But uh, we'll go ahead and get into that now when, when we look here at the defensive side of the ball. You know, really kind of the same thing. Making it way too easy on opposing quarterbacks. This is the second straight week now uh, where uh, a quarterback goes 22 of 25. For it's K-State. unbelievable. What, what, what are the odds of that? Yeah, it's really, it's just crazy. I mean... And I think a lot of it is that just the inability to get pressure on the quarterback without devoting a disproportionate amount of players to that. And with the three-three-five, you're going to see some of that, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, yes and no, because theoretically, you're typically bringing four guys. It's just a matter of where that fourth guy is coming from. Um, if you can, if you have a dominant defensive line, like we, especially like we saw in the second half of the Stanford game where we were getting home with Khalid and Felix, and they were we were rushing three, and I think we had two straight sacks of yeah. a three-man rush yeah. against Stanford. But, you know, without... The defensive end spot's just really decimated right now with Duke, of course, gone, and Massey, unavailable. Um, and so you're getting... <laughs> you're asking some... You're asking guys like Spencer Trussell and Nate Matlack who, you know, I think Nate Matlack's got a bright future, but I think he's not, you know, at what we want playing that defensive end spot for 30, 40 snaps a game uh, against a good offensive line like Iowa State. And so I think part of it's that. I think part of it is, uh, part of it's Iowa State's got a pretty good offensive line. Yeah. And they're able to pick up and uh, pick up some of those blitzes. And Purdy's a pretty seasoned quarterback, and so he knows how to move around the pocket. But in any event, that that was really the story, I think, is just K-State was doing everything they could to get to the quarterback on Saturday. And it was, pick your poison. Are, are you going to try to get some pressure, or are you just going to sit back and let them have all day in the pocket and find somebody? Well, and we kind of detailed that as a, a real key for K-State, was Brock Purdy in their losses— Turn the ball over. Yeah. we're If K-State was going to win this game, they needed to probably be, I mean, maybe plus two 
in the turnover margin and in being minus one, which they were on the interception, not really getting anything. I mean, and also, too, like, you know, Brock Purdy, 22-25, super efficient. His best game of the season, you know, really, when you look at it, uh, efficient, did a little bit running the ball as well, which we, we talked about. Uh, with him, I mean, not not really doing too much, really running the ball like on design runs, but being able to be outside the pocket and sure. and, and creating, uh, you know, plays on the move. Something I Iowa State can, which do. is so where he, he likes to live. Yeah, he does like to live on the edge. He, if if it's if he had his druthers, he'd be out moving around in the pocket a little bit, playing a little bit of backyard football, and he was able to do a little bit of that on Saturday, and, and that's. Um, that's well doomed for K-State's defense. And like you said, you know, K-State did, uh, you're like I said earlier, K-State did show some signs of saying, hey, this defense is kind of settling in here a little bit in the first half. But unfortunately, the offense wasn't really able to um, complement that when K-State did get get uh, Iowa State off the field on three and outs and, and uh, just didn't have much luck on that on Saturday. Yeah, and so it's, it's it you know, and they had their opportunities. I mean, 15 third downs. I mean, that getting to third downs, nice step. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have a chance to end the drive. Yep. Uh, but the third downs were the story of the day, I feel like, for K-State on defense. Just Iowa State coming up time after time. Um, and the thing, and just too. keeping K-State's defense on the, the field. The thing, too, about, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but for Iowa State, we men- I mentioned uh, earlier, 15 third down attempts, nine conversions. A lot of those third down conversions seeming to be very third and manageable. And that's where they want to live at, like you said, kind of playing that complimentary style of football, you know, playing ahead of the chains. And uh, they were able to do that. You know, uh, one play I want to mention defensively that I think kind of sums up the frustration that a lot of K-State fans have had here is – it's third and twelve later in the game. The twelve men on the field. Twelve men on the yep. field. They uh, they get you know goes from third and twelve to third and seven. They pick that up and they they move it down on that long touchdown drive. Sure. Um, and that was really the back breaking drive. It seemed like yeah, because that put it to twenty seven seven. And in K State really had no chance to come back in that situation. Not only did it put it at twenty seven to seven, it took ten minutes off yeah, the clock. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, twenty-seven to seven is one thing, but by the end of the drive, it was the twilight of the third quarter. Yeah. And it, it, K-State's offense, at that point, had been on the field for all of two minutes in the entire quarter, and so that that th- that twelve men on the field business was was devastating um, because K-State gets the ball back. You could start, you could squint and say, okay, we go down and score. We got a one-score game, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know we're in this, and then we hopefully get a three and out, and we can you can start to see a path to victory. But after twenty seven to seven, it was like, well, this thing's basically on ice. Yep, and and on ice it was. Yeah, and uh, you know I don't really think we need to go too much more in depth on this. I think we've said what really needs to be said on this game. Anything else you really want to add here from when you look at what uh, the Iowa State uh, K State game had for us? No, it's just you know I I'm a Messingham fan. I'm a Messing fan. Um, I like him. I like his philosophy. You I like think his mustache. I like his mustache. I like I like everything about him. I think he's a great coach. I think that if he gets the personnel that we I know where you're going with this too. I know exactly um, where you're going with this. Then K State's offense is going to continue to get 
re- really good and be like some of those uh, great offenses K-State had back in 2011 through 2014. Um, it blows my mind yeah. that we're huddling. With there with yeah. six minutes left in the game, down three scores. It's insane. Well, it's embarrassing. It's like, what do you do? I mean, that first we're, we're, ru- still, we're taking snaps with less than ten seconds on the play clock. Oh, oh no! I mean, we're running down to like one. Yeah. And, and you know that that's the thing too is I'm looking here at at that touchdown drive. You know, gosh, we go eleven plays, seventy five yards in a little over five minutes, and you know there was real. No, no real, no real rush, no real, um, no real sense of urgency. A little bit more sense of urgency on the second drive, but a little, still, but not not a whole lot more. Not not the sense of urgency you would expect being down no. three scores. And I saw in Kleinman's press conference this week that he was asked about that, and he said, "You know, we do, we do have a turbo installed, and it's like, well, when's the time to use it?" Because we saw it in the Oklahoma game, too. Is K-State, you're running out of time for possessions. And even if you're getting onside kicks, which, I mean, is a stretch in and of that, itself. That's a 10% chance, yeah. if that. Uh, but you're, you're not going to have enough possessions because there's only five minutes left in the game and you need to score. You need to score a touchdown on this drive and then you need to score two more touchdowns. Yeah. That it's it it blows my mind, and I that is a hundred percent coaching. Because even if it was, even if Thompson, it would be one thing if Thompson wasn't in the game, wasn't healthy. Yeah, and they're saying you know, with Will Howard back there, we can't really go fast. He doesn't have a grasp of the offense. He doesn't have a grasp of of what to call and to get everybody in the right position. I get, I would get that. He's yeah. young, but Thompson's been in the program what. Seven, six years? Yeah. <clears throat> There's no excuse. He has, K-State has to be able to run a hurry-up offense and know what the hell is going on. And that we were huddling and running the ball. I mean, I think we, on our last touchdown drive, we ran the ball four times. That, that we were just taking our sweet time down three yeah. scores. It, it is beyond, it's like, well, what are we even, why am I even watching this? We know we've get clearly given up, or we don't have the capacity to come back. Yeah, um, and so I, I'm very disappointed in Messingham for that because that was that's really the first time during his entire tenure where I've thought mm, I don't get I don't, your, get, I don't get your yeah. your scheme I don't get your philosophy here because it was just nonsense. So um, that's. For, from a coaching perspective, beyond just uh, Jimmy's and Joe's sort of thing, that's that's my main gripe from Saturday, um, is that we apparently don't have the ability to run a hurry-up offense, which is a problem, given our defense. Given our defense. Yeah, because we've been having to play behind, essentially, yeah. the entirety of conference play. You would think after Oklahoma, and it being an issue in that game, they would have taken the next some point in the next two weeks to say, okay, guys, and when we're down at a certain point in the game, we might have to snap the ball before the play clock hits 10. So let's figure out a way to either put some plays in, multiple plays in at one time, or, I don't know, get get to the line of scrimmage and have Thompson 
run a play. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's something I'd be fine with because he knows this is, a, this is a guy that's now it's his third year in the same system for one. Yeah. And um, obviously experienced. I mean, we've seen him lead some, you know, two minute drives, you know, late in games before to where he's, you know, had some command of the offense where he's able to do that. Didn't see that. I don't get it. No. So that I was really disappointed in that. Um, but as far as the game goes, I don't know. I mean, I would say was is better than us. Yeah. Um, I think we had our chances to win, and we made too many mistakes. I mean, case K State's still K State here. I mean, K State's a team that needs to win at the at the margins. They need to win the turnover battle. They need. To, they can't be having stupid personnel penalties, procedural penalties with twelve men on the field. They can't be losing the special teams battle, and they did all those things on Saturday. And yeah, with that, know, all that in mind, K State predictably loses uh, by thirteen. The other thing too, you mentioned the kicking game. You know, Iowa State they had to sell for some field goals for four of four for uh, Mevis from uh, from the uh, the kicking side of things. But twelve points looms large. I mean, granted, it wouldn't have been the end all be all probably in this game, but. Uh, Having consistent kicking is something that, uh, you know, maybe K-State have, fans have grown accustomed to. Didn't have that. Iowa State was. And uh, that also played a huge part in the game. Yeah, and I think Winkle's, on the whole, been fine this yeah, year. Yeah, he's been fine. Um, but in terms it's of It's not reaching game, 2000, 2001, 2002. Uh, don't get me started on 2002. Um, but um, anyway, it, it's just emblematic. If, if this K-State team is is going to be facing a talent deficit almost every almost every uh, game from here on out. Uh, in almost every game in the conference this season. And with that in mind, K-State's got to win at the edges. They have to make money on special teams. They have to make money in the turnover battle. And so when, you know, if K-State's losing the turnover battle against Texas Tech, which will provide a nice segue, then it's going to be another tough night for them. Yep, absolutely. And we'll get kind of more into the defensive side of the ball because this Texas Tech team, maybe a little bit different Texas Tech team than K-State fans may be used to seeing down there on the plains of of West Texas. Huh? We'll get into that here shortly. But I think that'll do it here for the Iowa State Review. D-Lou, anything else you want to add? Nope, that's it. Close the book on that one. Hey, it beats 45-0. Yeah, it does. It does, but uh, still a long way to go for K State, yeah. and uh, and uh, they look to get back on the right foot against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And before we go ahead and get into that, folks, want to talk again about Manhattan Brewing Company. That might have been the highlight of the weekend for me. You know, getting up to there to uh, Manhattan Brewing Company. I saw it uh, over here uh, on on Instagram, which you can follow them at Manhattan Brewing, and on Twitter at Manhattan Brew to stay up. Uh, to date on all the upcoming events and parties they have going on there at Manhattan Brewing Company. I saw they were taking entries for the NFL Blitz 2000 tournament they were hosting there uh, this week at Manhattan Brewing. A lot of fun going on there. Uh, You can also check out their website, www.mhkbeer.com. You can keep up with all the events they have going on there as well as purchase items through their shop, such as t-shirts and hats as well as tickets to upcoming events such as Yoga at the Brewery, which is on October 23rd, and Pumpkins and Pints on October 24th. Be sure to visit their website 
for more information on, on all of these upcoming events. And uh, once again, folks, that motto is simple. Manhattan Brewing Company. We brew beer for the people of Manhattan because that's what we are and that's who we care about. I love, so, I love beer, man. You do? Yeah. You are a big-time beer guy. I you? love it. Well, it's you got to get up there. You gotta, i got to try that uh, conservation Kolsch. You do. I, I, I sent you a picture of, of yeah. the big old glass I had. Yeah. Great beer, great cause, and uh, great folks over there at Manhattan Brewing Company. Be sure to check them out. So let's go ahead and look at Texas Tech, huh? The Red Raiders. Texas Technical. Texas Technical School, five and two in Big Twelve play. You know this was a, kind of a make or break year for Matt Wells and, and the Red Raiders over there in Lubbock. You know they haven't been to a bowl game now since. Gosh, I want to say it was like 2015. Yeah, they've had a string of losing seasons. Their last bowl game was 2017. 17. 2017. They went to the uh, Birmingham Bowl. Yeah. Uh, finished that year six and seven. Uh, they've had their last winning season was yeah, 2015. That's the they played uh, LSU in the Texas Bowl. That's uh, well, yeah, that's right. And so uh, you know they haven't had a winning conference record. You have to go back all the way to 2009. Jeez. And Texas Tech is one of those teams that you feel is always kind of a plucky squad. That's kind of. You know, able to upset one of the better teams in the Big 12 just because they're able to put points up on the board. Um, and, you know, that's always been kind of their M.O. with, with Cliff Kingsbury um, at the helm. Even with Tommy Tuberville, they, you, you could count on them to score a couple points. Uh, and then, of course, with Mike Leach, always the high-flying offense there. But, <clears throat> excuse me, with this team under Matt Wells, it's a little bit different from what you see, from what you would normally think of a Texas Tech Red Raiders team to, to look like. And, you know, against KU last week, don't uh, adjust your – don't worry about adjusting your, your headphones or your sound quality here, folks, because Texas Tech r- rolled up 438 yards. Okay, that, that sounds like a Texas Tech team that you're used to. Yeah. 244 of them on the ground. Wow. I, I don't know when the last time Texas Tech ran for 250 yards is, but I certainly know they weren't running for that many yards under Mike Leach or, or, or Cliff Kingsbury too often, if ever. And you uh, know what the craziest part about that is? You said, what did they run for? 244. 244. Their leading rusher, Sir Roger Thompson, 83 yards. Yeah. So spreading the ball around a lot. Um, and run the quarterback a little bit, too. Run the quarterback. Uh, Columbia had 35 yards on six carries. Uh and then Donovan Smith, uh, who was their backup quarterback, uh, was their second leading rusher. He had uh, six carries for 37 yards, so he was getting in there too. But uh, really spreading the ball around on Saturday, and it's a lot of yards to run for without having a single. Yeah, rusher. yeah, exactly. I mean, you'd expect, you know, with with a ground game uh, at Texas Tech, that's you know 80, 83 yards that's kind of what you would expect from years past that would be their entire rushing total but not the case now and uh, this is going to be a matchup that gosh with K-State's inability to sometimes tackle consistently and inability to get kind of lined up maybe in in the right way you know I want to go back to that that um, that Brees Hall touchdown you know, I think Kleiman said that there was a misalignment on that play. He had, I, I believe, he had said two guys that ran into each other. When you look back on the uh, on the film there on the all twenty-two, sure enough, that's what you see. Yeah. And 
you know, K-State, if they want to be competitive in this game and competitive in other games here throughout the rest of the season, lining up and, and tackling are two of the simplest parts of that of that strategy. And uh, they're going to be tested again uh, with what's a, a balanced offense uh, with Texas Tech. This is probably the first real true RPO team that K-State is seeing this year. I know in, in uh, Chris Kleiman's press conference on Saturday, he had mentioned that. So this will give, you know, K-State, it'll give their team maybe a little bit of a new look this week from what they've seen so far this year. But uh, for K-State fans, this isn't anything new necessarily in terms of seeing an RPO-style uh, attack. I mean, in terms of what K-State's seen in years past in the Big 12, this is going to be uh, another test. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I, I feel like Oklahoma State runs uh, quite a few RPO elements with, through uh, Spencer Sanders. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, certainly an another challenge for the defense. Um, and it's going to be another day of playing assignment football and uh, – Hopefully, I mean, I think this is the uh, probably the worst offensive line K-State will have played in the Big 12 so far this year. So hopefully it gives a chance for uh, the, the defensive line, guys like Felix, Santa DK, and, uh, you know, whoever else, really. That, that fourth blitzer um, who's going to come in from that second level to have opportunities to, to bust through and, and get to the quarterback. You know, and we'll talk here a little bit more about Texas Tech. You know, their game against KU was... You know, pure domination. I mean, really, forty-one fourteen was the final score in that game. I don't know if you can make a twenty-seven point loss look a little bit closer than it really was, but this one might fit the bill here because KU scores two touchdowns in the final minute of that game uh, to to get on the board and make it look a little bit closer. But you know, last time out uh, in Lubbock, Texas Tech gets drubbed by uh, Texas Christian. 52-31 in a game that TCU had command uh, the entire ball game and really took it to uh, Matt Wells and this Texas Tech team. You know, this isn't a Texas Tech team that really should incite a whole lot of fear. This isn't one of those high-powered offenses that you're used to seeing from them necessarily uh, up to their uh, traditional program standards. But certainly a tough team that K-State, if they're going to have, have some luck on Saturday, they're going to have to be dialed in defensively uh, to play one of their better games so far uh, of this season. Yeah, I mean, I think with with K-State's defense in the state it's currently in, I, I don't think it's a given that they're going to be able to handle um, the run-of-the-mill offenses in the Big 12. And so, you know, it, it's another challenge. But a, a, a nice, I don't want to call it a respite, but a little bit of a reprieve from some of the better offenses K-State's faced so far in the conference. and I mean, Henry Columbia, he's not quite the challenge running the ball that Spencer Sanders is. No, certainly Fair not. enough. Fair he certainly say. doesn't have the arm talent of uh, Spencer Rattler and it doesn't have the moxie of, of Brock Purdy. And, and I think the personnel surrounding him at Texas Tech isn't at the same level as any of those uh, three mentioned teams either. And so... I think this is probably the uh, the worst offense K-State will face in conference play so far this season. So it is a chance to, for K-State to get kind of back on the right side of things defensively and, and face an offense that um, doesn't quite have all the same threats and all, all the different pieces to worry about uh, from you know 
some of the best quarterbacks in the conference, some of the best running backs in the conference, and some pretty darn good wide receivers uh, that they've faced the first three games. So hopefully uh, K-State's defense can come back and look a little more uh, like they did in the out-of-conference where they looked really good. Yeah, and that's what's kind of maybe the most the most kind of sharp dichotomy here between what you thought of this K-State defense here for the first three games of non-conference uh, to what you've seen here, here lately. Is it uh, just a matter of competition taking a step up? Is it a matter of injuries playing a factor? Is it a little bit of a combination of just poor yeah. play? Is it a combination of all three? I, I think that there's probably something to be said that it, it, it's someplace right in the middle there. And, you know, like I said, Texas Tech is, is going to put some stress on this K-State defense. And uh, not only through the through the ground, which we've talked about, seems to be a little bit more of a shift for them, but uh, certainly capable of, of hurting K-State through the air as well. You know, Henry Columbia, his stats aren't going to jump out. He's, he's thrown for over 1,000 yards already. But within a bridge season yeah. after the show. Shook, shook. What Tyler, was, yeah, Tyler. Sh- I think it's pronounced shook. Actually, it, it looks like it's show. really confusing. It looks like show, and, and I I'm kind of, I'm kind of simple minded too. So it's yeah. really that kind of name kind of confuses me. Puts you in some kind of cartwheels yeah. going on there. And so his stats don't jump out at you, but he hasn't played a full season. Yeah, and the other thing too is this is a guy that we saw last year for for K State. Um, in, in that game against um, against uh, K-State Manhattan. I believe Bowman left that game with an injury. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, not only did he leave, K- uh, Skylar Thompson left in that game. So uh, both teams were playing their backup quarterbacks, and K-State was able to hold on to that one uh, for, for, for the victory. We'll be interested to see. You know, he's a little bit more of a running threat, uh, as we've documented uh, more so than than Tyler Tyler Shook, um, but you know really what it comes down to for me, K State's going to have to get back to the fundamentals and really get back to doing things that that you should kind of consider a given. One of those being lining up correctly, being able to fit gaps on 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 run plays because that's really kind of what it was against on the, on the Brees Hall touchdown run to start the game. Just not playing assignment sound football, not playing gap sound football. And On the first play of the game. Yeah. Another thing, having the proper amount of men on the field. Also important. Unless you are able to get away with it. Then, <laughs> yeah, you know. Then in that case, you know, maybe we can get sneak 13 out there. Is it the line judge who counts? Is it Back judge, I Back believe. judge. Yeah, I think so. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it would be. I'd be like, they should get the free safety to kind of distract him a little. Well, bit. the other thing too is chop it like, up with the back judge. You know, yeah, just ask him. Any good movies lately? <laughs> hey Donnie, how are the wife and kids? What, like, what, are, what, are, what are you watching on Netflix these days, huh? <laughs> hey, you seen that Squid Game, man? You seen that Squid Game, man? That hey, red wild. light, green light, man. That that's a and then hut hut hike and you got then, 14, 15 guys flying the football. Maybe that's what we need. We need Rush East and Jerome McPherson to be a little bit more conversational with the uh, the back judges. Yeah, there. get, get little... Stubbs back there. I yeah, feel like he's got some story. You know how many punts I've won? <laughs> that might be the guy. Maybe a little bit of an alignment change there. Yeah. They, hey Doug, you know how many punts I've blocked in junior college? Back judges like how many? He's like. 75. 75. It's like, holy smokes. Well, I'll, I'll tell you each about one of those 75 <laughs> uh, pump blocks after each play. How's that sound? 
I love it. It'd be a story just between you and me. <laughs> yeah. So get those guys back there chopping it up. Yeah, I think that might you might be onto something there. Uh, but this Texas Tech offense too have some good pass catchers. Uh, Eric, ooh, who's a Kanma? I believe is how you pronounce that. He would turn around if he, he might turn around yeah. if, if I if I said that to him. Uh, Kalen Geiger, another guy, Miles Price, uh, guys that are going to be, you know, maybe the names you hear catching passes. You know, quite frankly, this K-State secondary, I, I had such high hopes for them coming into the season. Yeah. And I'm coming back and saying, you know, maybe this unit maybe isn't as good as I, th- I, I had hoped for or I had thought they would be. But I think a lot of that has to come back to is K-State's not getting any pressure on these guys. Right. And, you know, if, if you've got all day to throw, that puts you in coverage for a long time. It does. On the other hand, you, you look at somebody like Julius Brents, for example, who is much ballyhooed coming into the year. Very highly ballyhooed. And uh, you watch him, some of these completions happen on his guy, and it's like, he's there. He's in position. He's not getting totally... He's not playing blown by. He, yeah, he's not playing tr- tracing where he's you right. Know, and five it's yards just it's guys. just guys, it, well, and especially him just not being able to make the play on the football. And so, you know, it. I don't know if that improves, can improve one week to the next, but it's frustrating because it's like, you know, no, we're not getting pressure. On the other hand, it's not like our total lack of pressure is responsible for. All, all these completions just in yeah. in uh, no man's land in the zone. Because on a lot of them, are, we, we do have a guy there. He's We're just getting bodied out um, and just not being able to have that ball skill for the defensive back. And so um, all that all that said, getting pressure would certainly help a lot. Um, yeah. And, you know, when it was the one-two punch of Duke and Felix that we saw in the Atta Conference, it was... It looked like, I think we talked, synergy was the phrase we used, where the defensive line was getting in there and getting, causing all sorts of havoc in the backfield, which made life easier for what was pretty good secondary. And vice versa. The secondary was helping the defense because yeah, the line could get some cover sacks. But without that threat of pressuring the quarterback, that, that synergy has kind of fallen apart, and it's putting a lot more pressure on the secondary to have to make extraordinary plays or at least tough plays to uh stop the passes and so that's why we're seeing I, th- I think a lot of that is why we're seeing Brock Purdy put up 22 of 25 and and Radler put up he had an absurdly high complete I think K-State's defense I saw earlier this week K-State is last in the country in terms of a po- opponent completion percentage yeah I be- well, number, I, number 130 well I believe it after these last three conference games where, you know, gosh, Spencer Sanders is struggling coming in that game. Rattler went 22 of 25 just like Brock Purdy did. Yeah, exactly. And Spencer Sanders 22 of 34, which is a little bit of a better proportion. On the other hand, he threw for 345 yards. So, yeah. um, was kind of getting what he wanted there, too. You know, and the other thing, too, that I'll mention with, with this matchup uh, now, switching over now to when K-State has the ball offensively, I mentioned the the three games that K-State has won this season. They've ran the ball for 200 yards in each of those games. Three games that they've lost, they have not. I don't know if K-State is going to be able to run for 200 yards 
in in many games for the rest of the season just because I think you know gosh you get uh, you get these teams in here now that know K State a little bit better can match up maybe a little bit better uh, they're gonna want to take away that running game but I want to get your thoughts on this and I think this helps out K State a lot maybe in a couple different ways to have Deuce Vaughn be a little bit more of a non-traditional tailback in terms of having him in the slot more often, getting Joe Irvin, Everyday Joe, as, as uh, my dad likes to call him now. I love it. Uh, Everyday Joe. Uh, gets him back into the mix because, quite frankly, I think he's been a really a, a bright spot here. You because know, I didn't quite know what to expect from Joe Irvin really coming into the season. We saw him play sparingly in 2019, Kind of limited action. Set out last year. Sets out last year. You don't know really kind of, well, one, yeah. you don't know what kind of shape he's coming in after a whole year off. You don't know kind of how long is it going to take to him to knock off any rust that he presumably has after a whole season of, of being away, really. And he's been really pretty darn dependable and, and pretty darn effective in his time. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing him get, I would, what, what I guess I should say is, and I don't have the exact snap counts of who's out there all the time, uh, just here in front of me. But gosh, I'd like to see a, a situation where we have Deuce Vaughn and uh, Everyday Joe out there in in the formation seven out of ten times, eight out of ten times. Because right now, this is a K-State offense kind of short on playmakers. These are two of your better ones. Yeah. Get them out there. I, I agree. I mean, I think that's a great way to make K-State's offense more multiple. Which you like, which is a phrase you like to use. I do. You know, on um, your dad likes to call him everyday Joe. Mm-hmm. I call him Cannonball Joe. Yeah, okay. Because he, he hits on, that hole hard. Uh, on Saturday night, it was like every time he got the ball, he looked like he was getting shot out of a cannon. He just gets vertical real fast and and runs through that hole real hard. But you know, I I I tend to agree. I mean, I think that on the one hand, it's it's a lot to ask um, of a running back uh, who's in a second year to say, okay, actually you're playing two positions now. Yep, that is tough. Um, that is tough. No question. It's, it's one thing to, to be able to do that in the NFL uh, where guys are, this is their literally their full-time job. Um, or somebody who's had a couple years in the system under their belt, kind of knowing and appreciating all the nuances of different plays so you're not like, it's not a, a tell when Deuce Vaughn's lining up his slot. Um, and also, Deuce Vaughn, pretty diminutive little fellow. Yeah. And so it's, you know, if he's lining up his slot, he's not taking the wear and tear of running back necessarily, yep. but it's still a lot to go on. Um, and so I think at this point in his career, it would be great if we could kind of slot him in at three or four different spots on the offense, whether we want to put him Y, whether we put him in the slot, wherever. Um, but I, I think that's something that in an ideal world could happen seven, eight out of ten times. It's th- both those guys are going to be getting snaps um, or going to be on the field at the same time. Yeah. But I think, practically speaking, it, it it's a little hard um, right now. But all that said, I, I do think that uh, it would be nice to see Urban um, just get some more carries because, good grief, uh, he, I think he's a really good running back. I do too. 
I do too. Um, I'd like to see him be utilized a, a little bit more. Right. And and if that means really prioritizing Deuce the rest of the season as somebody who winds up primarily in the slot, that's fine. Because the issue, of course, is, well, if Joe Irvin's getting 20 carries a game, are we really going to limit one of the best running backs in the Big 12, which I think we both agree Deuce Vaughn yeah. is, to 10, 15 carries a game? It's like, well, yeah, that is a little bit of a dilemma. Yeah, um, sure. And so, so you really want to find ways to get both those guys the ball, just because at this point, they're those guys, those two are K State's two best skill position players on offense. I mean, I think they're. It's clear that you know, it. It's probably not Malik Knowles this season. It's probably not Philip Brooks. But so far this year, I think those two guys look like the two most dynamic players, and it's. A shame that they're playing the same position. So if there's a way to kind of massage it and nuance Deuce out into the slot to find a way to keep him involved while Urban's uh, carrying the ball, that uh, that would be very helpful. Yeah, I think that there's an opportunity for that to take place. Now, I don't like I, I don't want to say I'm advocating for less Deuce Vaughn, sure. more more Joe Urban necessarily. In a perfect world, I'm getting them. You know, let's say Deuce Vaughn gets 10 targets in the air, 15 carries, and I'm giving Joe Irvin 12 to 15 carries. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that K-State can make happen. I'll be interested to see what mess and company dial up this week because I think that's going to be something to uh, keep an eye on. You know, Skylar Thompson, 15 to 23, 206 yards. Two touchdowns, one interception. The interception coming off of a, a a pass that you know I think Malik Knowles would say a hundred times out of a hundred times he, he should be catching. Um, you know it, it was one of those plays that w- when you see it go off his hands and go up in the air, you know this isn't gonna go well. No, that ball is that, too high. That ball is that <laughs> ball is tipped up there for too long, and you know K State's passing game. We've talked about that the the wide receivers were definitely a point of concern coming into the season. Phillip Brooks and Malik Knowles have been the two most reliable uh, pass catchers. Landry Weber had had a big game against uh, Oklahoma, which we talked about. Uh, Tyrone Hell got a little bit more action than he had gotten, uh, you know, year to date, so to speak, uh, against uh, Iowa State. So maybe he's kind of turning that corner coming in from junior college. But the, the the offense, one thing I did like, though, that deep pass to, to Phillip Brooks on the touchdown, well-thrown ball, K-State's taking a shot there, and I'd like to see a little bit more of that. I, yeah. I think that, now granted, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we should be throwing the ball deep more often. But that takes a lot of things. That takes, one, being able to get the defense in a look to where you're going to be getting man-on-man coverage. Uh, to where they're not going to have over-the-top safety help necessarily in all situations. Also provides the offensive line has to hold up. Yeah. And uh, then you have to throw a 40-yard pass on the money. So there's a lot of things that go into that. To a guy who's about 5'8". Yeah. It's not exactly a, a, a... A lot has to go right. A lot has to go right is a good way to put it. And the other thing, too, I'll say, on that pass, right on the money. Yeah. I mean, perfect ball right there to him. Uh, Brooks is able to make the play and, and get in the end zone for six there. So we'll be interested to see if K-State has some opportunities to take the, take the shot down the field. One thing I wanted to mention, too, about the running backs, Jacardi Wright, 
no carries, and I don't know if I saw him in the game. No, 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 no. After that fumble, I, you wonder if he's kind of in the doghouse a little bit or, or how quickly that leash uh, is extended to where he's out of that doghouse. Well, here's the kind of crummy thing about Jacardi Wright's uh, season so far. Um, he had the fumble against Oklahoma, which I believe was his only carry. Yes, it was. Um, I know he was in on the uh, Will Howard fumble against Oklahoma yeah. State. So his he, uh, he just seems to kind of be the his wrong plus spot. minus uh, hasn't been great in conference play so far. Um, of course, the Howard fumble he had nothing to do with, but it it is unfortunate that yeah. you know I I remember against Oklahoma State I was like oh Scotty Wright let's see what he can do hopefully he can uh, well you get, thought it might be a place to carry for him to carry the ball, right and know. then of course it's a dev- devastating turnover you know, yeah scarring play um, but. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that he's had kind of a rocky road throughout his uh, time so far at K-State, which uh, is, is too bad because I think he's he's got some talent, and uh, I'd like to see him uh, be able to show it. On the other hand, that's a pretty crowded room right now, and, and that's a guy that uh, you'd like to see K-State find a way to use him, but through some tough luck and some uh, self-inflicted air, um, he just hasn't he hasn't had a much of, much to talk about so far this season. No, he sure hasn't. So, let's go ahead and get to a prediction. What do you say, Dell? I love it. Fire away. I think K-State's a better team this weekend. I mean, I know we look at the records. Tech has 5-1. and one. Uh, They face a much easier schedule so far. Like I said earlier, I think K-State is a little camouflaged in, term of how, in terms of how good they are. Uh, ever the optimist, I think they're better than they've shown so far. And I think that uh, Texas Tech is the easiest team... Um, they've faced in conference play so far by a pretty wide margin. I mean, I don't know who the... I don't, Of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State, I don't know who the worst one of those teams are at yeah, this point. But, it, it, I, but I know the worst one's probably handling Texas Tech pretty comfortably on a neutral field. Um, and so I, I think K-State's offense um, is going to continue to look like a pretty okay, pretty good unit. Um, against Texas Tech's defense, which has leaked some water, especially against the run at certain points, giving up um, 350 yards to Texas, uh, giving up another uh, 200 against uh, Texas Christian. Or, oh, I apologize. Texas Christian ran for 394 yards against Texas Tech. If K-State runs for 394 yards, I I like their chances. So I think this strikes me a little bit like the uh, the Nevada game, at least for K State, facing a defense that is a fairly good matchup for K State's offense, and then on the on the defensive side of the ball for K State, I think we are going to see uh, the defense uh, take a step forward against an offense that isn't quite as capable, um, isn't quite at the level that they faced in the first three games. So I think K State's defense, they're not going to look like you know the, the mob they're not going to look like these DOD defenses and and I don't think they will for the rest of the season but I do think they'll look a little more competent and not just get bullied up and down the field like we saw against uh especially against Oklahoma and Iowa State. So all that being said, Icon, I think K-State wins this game, gets a much needed victory, gets their first conference win in 12 months, winning 31 to 24. All right, there we go. Thank yeah. you for that. Uh, st- I mean, Dilu, uh, for that uh, that that uh, that nice summary of the game and a nice prediction. 
Now you had a what again? 31 to 24, Kansas 31 to 24. So we see this one similarly. We usually do. And, you know, I want to mention here, the Vegas uh, spread here on this game, I think K-State opened up in some places as a as a slight one-point favorite. Yep. I've seen it as a straight pick. I'm seeing it now as Texas Tech is a one-point favorite. So really all, all that needs to uh, all that that needs to tell you is the odds makers see this one as, as pretty much a coin flip. The, the, well, what it tells you is the computers like K, think K State's the better team here. Slightly. Well, but the better team but, nonetheless. But, but you're giving some points for home field. Yeah, exactly. That, that's true. Got to be fair. Got to be fair. And, you know, really, I'm going to go ahead here, and K State has had a, a, a tough start here at the conference play. We've mentioned that plenty. I think K-State does find a way to get it done on the road. And, you know, the reason why I'm going to say this, experience a quarterback. I love that's, it. that's what I come back to. K-State's got a guy with Skylar Thompson who has had his uh, has had his memorable uh, moments, one of his memorable moments in Lubbock in 2017, uh, coming off the bench there and uh, getting a rally going for K-State. Uh, I believe they were down eight on their final drive. Go down, score a touchdown, punch it in on the two-point conversion, and then win it in overtime with Skylar Thompson at the helm. In a game like this where I think teams are are pretty evenly matched here, which, which I certainly think is the case here with Texas Tech and K-State, I'm going to give the edge to the experience at, at the quarterback position. Now I'm going to take K-State winning this game 30-27. to All right, folks. You know, we were pretty darn close with our original picks last week. I mean, I, I stayed steadfast. You did. I Hardly they didn't quite play the role I thought it was going to It was take. a charged up atmosphere. I'll tell you, we both nailed Iowa State's final score. I think I had them... You we I think we were both at 31. 31? Okay. Yeah, I thought, and, I thought and, we was, both, and we both said... I thought I think I had them at 34, but it, either... So, we were, we were right there. Uh, we were right there. So, take it to the bank. And, and this week... Harley Day's not messing up the, uh, not providing any noise, yes. so to speak, to the data. Yes. Or to the game environment. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so I, th- I think we're going to be spot on this week. I hope so. Because K-State needs one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it's nearing a, it might, D. Lou, can you, I know you uh, have your machine over there. Could you, could you flip over there to 2020 in terms, I mean, we're nearing a calendar year. Uh, for the last uh, conference game that K-State's won. Uh, yeah, so the last time K-State won was on Saturday, October 24th. And uh, that will be nearly... This week's game is on the uh, 23rd of October. So, yeah, just short of a year. K-State so, trying to avoid a year-long conference losing streak. Yikes. Not what you want. Not what you want. So, but and we're saying they're going to do it. Yeah, we're saying nobody beats, no conference beats us for an entire year in a row. Certainly not the Big Twelve. Well, let's let's hope that is the case. And uh, I'm looking forward to an 11 a.m. game, FS1. As I mentioned, Timmy B and Spencer Tillman on the call. How about that, huh? Drink some coffee in the morning. Yeah, Maybe crack you got open a few cold ones. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe a conservation culture or two. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. So. Folks, that'll do it here. Dilo and I both see K-State coming out on the right end of this one here in Lubbock and uh, breaking a much-needed conference game losing streak. Uh, 
in Lubbock on Saturday. So, D'Lo, anything else you want to add here before we uh, before we take a quick break? No. Um, other than K State's won the last nine out of ten against Texas Tech. Is that what that game sheet says there? Um, Can that possibly be right? Wow. A win would make K State ten and one against the Red Raiders over the last eleven meetings. My word. You know, I'll tell you, Mike Leach had our number. Yeah, but since then, well, it's it's interesting. You you say that Kate a win would make K State ten and one against the Red Raiders in their last eleven meetings. From the overall series, the series is twelve to nine. How about that? Mike Leach had our number because when he kind of got in involved there, because I mean, obviously it wasn't quite the same because you weren't playing the true round robin in the Big Twelve. But with the end of, you know, kind of the, the decade of dominance, we didn't get to see a whole lot of Texas Tech. Right. And uh, then in kind of some of the, the leaner years of, of the end of Snyder 1.0, um, Tech got the better end of us. And then, of course, uh, while, uh, while the legend was getting his, his feet settled here in, uh, in the second go-round, that 2009 game wasn't pretty. No. No, that was. Do you remember who the quarterback was for Texas Tech that day? Um, because I, I remember this one very vividly. No, who was it? Uh, I was in St. Louis that weekend, by the way. You know, it was his last name was Sheffield. Gary, Gary's boy, <laughs> Gary's boy, uh, Gary. Sh- everyone, whether they want to admit it or not, always did the Gary Sheffield batting stance. Yeah. How can you wiggle that sucker around up there? Yeah, no, I gotta look. I think it was something. I think it was something with an S. Oh uh, no, it was something with a D. I thought. I think Doug? it may have been Doug. Maybe. Um, I'm gonna look this up real quick because this guy absolutely torched K State. Look, uh, it up. Stephen Sheffield. Stephen Sheffield. They called him Sticks because he was so skinny. Wow. And he threw, and he wasn't. Man, he was a little bit. More well bodied than than give that nickname. He was six four two oh five. Eh, that's pretty slender guy for six four. Yeah, maybe he's now a crude scheduler via LinkedIn. A, a what? A crude scheduler. Crude scheduler. So he's he's scheduling you know when they're when they're pumping crude down in, down the West Texas Plains. He's telling the oil when to come up and when, when to come up that. when that Texas tea is ready. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no, but he talk about a. Red Raider legend. He threw for about 600 yards against K-State that day. Good day and, in the office. And the, the next week, K-State goes out, and they just absolutely lay waste to the Texas Aggies in, in Manhattan. And what I would say is the most, I, I wouldn't say the most, but one of the most surprising results in, in K-State history based off of what we saw the previous week. And then the next week, a&M goes and embarrasses Tech in, in Lubbock. I think last year's Oklahoma game may have been a slightly more surprising yeah. result. No, no, no. Sure, we lost no. to Arkansas that's, State. That's what, that, I wasn't saying the most. I was saying yeah. one of the most. Yeah. Clarification there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, K-State needs one, and we think they're going to get it here on Saturday in the plains of West Texas. So, folks, that will do it here for the Iowa State review, Texas Tech preview. But we'll be back after a short break. To highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends and answer your questions in the Ask the Icon segment. Join us after the break. Short side option, we're back. 
You're listening to the Icon and Delu and Icon. We're going to get into a segment that we like to call this week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, this week we have a very special Wildcat Legend. He's a defensive back, six foot, one hundred ninety pounds from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California. He went to Dorsey High School out there. Uh, his parents are Lewis and Barbara. He was born in 1981. Babs and Lewis. Babs and Lewis. And I'll give you a little hint. No relation to me. Okay. Interesting to know. Yeah. He was a sociology major. Uh, one article written on October 12th, 2004. Give me some hints here. Oh, okay. Says that, uh, described him as a solid cover corner who figures to battle for a starting spot. He saw action in 12 games in his junior year and had a start against California and Missouri. He totaled 22 tackles his junior season, including 17 solo stops, credited with four pass breakups, and had one very important interception. Okay. You know who it is? I think I might need a few more hints here, D'Lo. Okay. Um, I'm usually, you know, I've got a lot on my mind right now with the Cowboys starting 5-1. You know, they're off to a great start on, on, on the football field. And, you know, of course, I'm when I'm breaking down, you know, all 22s all day, and, you know, I've got the Cowboys too, it just, my mind is kind you of got a lot going on and, in and I'm, I'm maybe not, and this is why the Wildcat legend is, is so important to the short side option, because I forget about some of these I legends, yeah, uh, legends of, yeah. of, of K-State sports. And I just need a little bit more help from you, I think. What if I told you his favorite food was fettuccine, chicken fettuccine Alfredo? Okay, that helps. Maybe one more. Uh, if he could have gone on any reality TV show, Pimp My Ride. I got it. It's Lewis Lavender. It's Lewis Lavender. And of course, that huge interception came against. Big important interception in the end zone towards the end of the season, just before the Big 12 championship game. 2003. Missouri. Missouri. Missouri! Yeah, no, that was that was a huge play. In there. Yep, I remember that. game now. was pretty darn tight. Going yeah, that in. game, you know... And that would have kept us out. If, had we lost, we, we, no 35-7. No. Oklahoma fans. Yeah. They 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 probably six is a little bit of a thorn in their side when, when Lewis Lavender gets brought up. Yeah, um, so Lewis Lavender. Uh, and really, it was that interception against Missouri that was, I think, his most iconic play. Yeah, forever cements him as a Wildcat legend. Exactly. Um, and uh, doing my research for this, I, I stumbled upon this article that I referenced earlier. It's just a straight Q&A to really get to know get to know Lewis. Double L is what they called him. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, you know, when your Wildcat days are over, how would you like to be remembered? And he said, I'd like to be remembered as a respectable young man and a hard worker. I'd rather be remembered for my character because a man's reputation is his greatest asset. And wow. I think that stands true. That is... Th- talk about a guy with some perspective, right? Absolutely. Um, Holy cow, that's great to hear. And it, this this article is really enlightening. It, it, it just gets to really know Lewis. And they say, uh, if you could have three people over for dinner, whether dead or alive, who would you invite? And that's a question I've always wondered. That's a who great, would Lewis Lavender invite over for dinner? Yeah, that's a great question. 
And his answer? Tupac Shakur, his father, former President Bill Clinton. How about that? <laughs> what? What, to be a fly on the wall at that table. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm looking up and down here. He says, uh, he references the his big play in Missouri. He says that would be his ultimate sports center highlight. Um, if he was given $1,000 to go on a shopping spree, he'd probably buy a TV for his car. Well, that's his pit my ride. It's right up there. Uh, he said he'd buy a TV for my car uh, because somebody stole his and he wants it back. So apparently somebody <laughs> jacked a TV out of his car. Man, poor Lewis. Uh, and he, he requested people call 911 um, if they have any information. Uh, he also wants a plasma TV and a baby monkey. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, back in 2004, $1,000 probably gets you all that. But with the rate of inflation that we're seeing these days, I don't know if that, that covers everything. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> tough to say. <laughs> it's not that much. I don't know what. I don't know what a baby monkey goes for exactly. I could, I could ballpark what a TV cost. But uh, plasma TV, those weren't cheap back then. No, no, sorry, Bob. And you might have to get a little creative about finding a baby monkey. Um, and uh, the final, I'll, I'll leave you with this. He says, clearly, he loves or loved pimp my ride, and it says, if you could choose any teammates car to go on Pimp My Ride, who would it be? You, you remember Pimp My Ride. Oh, of course. It takes somebody's crummy car. So this Exhibit is, the yeah. host. Yeah. It takes somebody's crummy car and they pick it up. Z. Yeah. And he says, Joe Lawson, he drives a little Toyota truck that is lifted with huge monster wheels. He needs to just get rid of the top. He has to touch a wire to a metal piece to honk his horn. He needs it. It's bad. Or better yet, just get rid of the whole thing. Hey, give Joe a break. Hey, that truck! That truck's been through a lot with it. <laughs> that's part of that's part of Joe's being right there. That's right. And so, you know, Lewis, what what can we say that hasn't been said? One thing I'll say about Lewis Lavender is I always really liked him because I liked his name. Also, lavender is shade of purple. He yeah, I mean, purple. it's it's perfect. Where remarkably, else, where perfect. else would he have gone to play at? Yeah, uh, I mean, that would have been as good of a fit for for a man like Lewis Lavender. Yeah, no, I think it. Everything, everything you said is absolutely true. And so, um, but we love Lewis, the player. Huge interception against Missouri. Clearly, a pretty uh, charismatic guy in an interview. And it's uh, it's those reasons on and off the field that makes Lewis Lavender this week's Wildcat legend. And Icon, we are going to go ahead and get into the final segment of the show, a segment that we here at the Short Side Option podcast call "Ask the Icon," where listeners to the Short Side Option can. Uh, submit their questions to Short Side Options' very own Chris the Icon, and uh, he'll answer. And, I will. I'll and, do it. And you can submit those at the uh, Twitter website for the Short Side Option, which can be found at TSSO underscore podcast, or by, of course, using the very popular hashtag AskTheIcon, or um, by messaging us on any uh, any other social media platforms. Uh, I don't think the Short Side Option has a TikTok. Um, we're in process with yeah. that. Yeah, that's something that we're, we're, we're working with. So stay away from the TikTok. You could probably reach us on Zanga still. Yeah, I, think I, our, I still update that page. I think our MySpace is defunct. But in any event, um, yeah, it's not just Twitter. You, you can reach us uh, either personally or at the, uh, the podcast's uh, social media websites. And, and, and Dilu, before you get started, I'm still working on getting that shoe polish off my windows. So folks, maybe 
maybe hold off on that method, but I certainly appreciate the creativity. Don't want to uh, discourage folks from finding ways to get involved um, uh, with uh, the SCI icon segment. Oh, most definitely. Most, most definitely. definitely. Most definitely. Uh, our first question this week comes from listener Trim at TrimGoEma. He asks, With Kleiman now even asking media types for positivity, it's clear that many in the program are struggling emotionally. The three of us know there's only one man for this job, and it's not the stone-pounding guy. Referring, of course, to... Ben Newman. Ben Newman. Of course. He says, What would Mark Wahlberg say to the team as a whole or to its members? Mark Wahlberg, of course, from Temptation Island. Of course. You know, that's a great question. And, and this is a really uh, a profound question in a lot of ways because it touches on two of the most really important parts of the Short Side Option podcast, K-State Football. Yeah. It may be possibly more important for some, Temptation Island. We love it. And with that being said, Mark Wahlberg is the host of Temptation Island, as you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. And he kind of not only provides, as obviously, as the host of the show, but as a confidant. Kind of a spiritual guide. Throughout this journey yep. that, that these four couples and these eight individuals find themselves on Temptation Island. And, you know, what I would have to think that Mark would say to this K-State team right now is, hey guys, you're halfway through your season here. Your journey. Your journey. You're halfway through this journey, which you author only one page at a time. Each game is one page. Think of it that way. You hold the pen. No one else does. You author your individual journey throughout this season. And, you know, there's a lot of negativity. You have folks saying you're not any good. You have folks saying, you know, through the first three games, oh, this is maybe a dark horse to win the Big 12 title. I mean, block all that out. Mm -hmm. Get yourself in the proper headspace to go out and achieve great things because you can do it. I've seen it before, and we'll see it again. That's very well said. I think that's exactly what Mark Wahlberg would say. He's always very supportive. Fundamentally, it's get your nose out of the Manhattan Mercury. Stop reading the press clippings. Quit reading what Ned Seaton has, Seaton has to say. And, and go out there and do it yourself. Get your nose on the grindstone. Yeah. And but, don't, but, don't, but don't get too close to that grounds that stone if someone's pounding at it. Because yeah. you don't want to have that happen. No, uh, sir. So we have kind of a related question for our next one, which it comes from uh, great question asker at KSU underscore funny 33. He says, as the icon, what will you be doing to increase the positivity around the football team? And so let's let's touch on this. Yeah, I was going to say, let's let's go back here. Um, so th these two questions, of course, referencing um, a comment made by Chris Kleiman yesterday, which was really promoted on uh, social media by uh, Kellis Robinet, among some others. Uh, Kleiman was asked in the press conference by D. Scott, who I believe his question was phrased... Um, he, he said, you know, Coach, you said in the offseason that this team was about the tightest team you've ever coached in terms of uh, just togetherness. Now that they're facing some adversity, how, how is the team sticking? How are they handling that? And Kleinman went on this long explanation of saying that, um, you know, they're all trying to get on the same page. Team's in good shape, but, but they're, they're 
making it a, a point of emphasis to make sure the team's handling the adversity all right. And then kind of went into, segued into saying, you know, we all need to be better about keeping their positivity up. And then kind of motioned with his arms to the room and said, we all could help this team um, with positivity. And that soundbite got promoted and uh, it it got kind of spun fairly or unfairly uh, because fundamentally he was technically asking the media to be more positive. positive. Yeah. Um, But so with that in mind, to KSC Funny's question, and and I don't know if you want to comment on it, um, what are you going to be doing to be be more positive about the football team? Well, I picked him to win. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's I'm a start. Not, I'm not calling for climbing to be fired this week. Like I like you did I, last week. Yeah. Well, so that's a positive step. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. Ask an answer. <laughs> well, it, it also too, I wanna I do wanna make a brief comment on that. It wasn't maybe the most savvy comment there from Chris Climate, because when you're on a three game losing streak in, in season and you haven't won a conference game in nearly a calendar year as we're as we're getting into the middle part of October here, or really towards the end of October, mm-hmm. um, you know, that always gets spun the wrong way, right? And when I saw the clip in saying like or when I saw the uh, the quote without any context, I'm like, why is he asking for, you know, like I almost envision like a Mike Gundy, like I'm a man, I'm 40, like type type of, um, (laughs) not obviously like not that type of animation necessarily with it, but that he's blaming the media for, you know, negative negativity (laughs) about either a certain player or the program as a whole. Right. That really was not anywhere near the case. It was fairly lighthearted. If you actually watch it. Yeah, it was. And I, I have quite as awkward as it made it out to be. On, on some of those Twitter bites because I, I went back and I was like I gotta see video of this and I have to and, and I have to say too like when you're you're seeing that you're saying oh this is a coach that's making excuses this is a guy who's you know in over his head and you know you can have and I, I've been plenty cl- critical of Chris Kleiman here over the last you know year now and in the interest of being fair which is of paramount importance yeah. you gotta be fair you have to I thought this was kind of really a nothing burger to me. Yeah. To be honest with you. So I didn't really care. I, I think it was a little bit misguided. But quite frankly, what it que- clears all ills and all negativity is winning. Just go get a win. And, you know, like we mentioned, a win last week for K-State would have been, you know, great. and, and would have been um, something that was much needed. That buck just keeps getting passed because with each loss that uh, K State suffers, uh, the next win is going to be that much more important. So, hopefully, K State's able to do it. Uh, but in terms of how that whole saga played out here over the last twenty-four to forty-eight hours now, I think it's a little bit overblown, and, I, and I'm not really quite seeing the uh, the real fire behind it. I guess, for lack of a better term. Right. Well, great question, and for this. Uh Final question this week. We have a, a doozy. It also comes from oh, a doozy, KSU huh? underscore funny 33. He's going to ask you to list some individuals around the greater K-State University, K-State Athletic Department, and ask you to rate their performance, how they're doing at their job right now. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, there are uh, seven people on this list, and they start with Gene Taylor, President Myers, Bruce. Love Bruce. Ooh, yeah. Chris Kleiman, Mess, Planderman, Conkline. Okay. So, who's number one? Who's do, who is doing okay in your mind? Because I think that would be the uh, the easiest way to go about this. Well, you know, this is a this is a tough question, but a um, a question that we can always count on our guys, guy uh, KSU funny to come up. It's a it's a project. And uh, number one, I'm going Bruce, right? Because this is a guy that's won two conference titles at K State, an elite eight at K State. The most successful basketball coach in my lifetime here at Kansas State, uh, that puts Bruce uh, in the uh, in the catbird seat. Number one, your thoughts? No, fair, fair. You're you're with me there now. Number two. Who now? It depends on how far you want to go back here. I'm not going to count Colin Klein's playing days. No, 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 no. This is his coaching prowess. Co- yeah. So I'm going to put at number two. You're going to put. Bruce above Colin Klein. <laughs> no, in, in, in the prop, in the in like assuming where it's Colin Klein the player too. No, no, oh, I okay. wasn't. But okay. I that's why I was making that okay. statement. Number two, I am going to put. Gosh, this is a little tough, but I think I'm going to have to put Mess. Right on. I'm going to put Mess number two because offense. I I think that uh, you know, last year we remarked. How does K-State ever score in points with a backup quarterback in there? It was a miracle every time they scored. And they scored a fair amount last year. Now, defense, on the other hand, eh, not so good. Um, so that being said, um, not great. Number three. <sighs> you got Gene Taylor. This is a little bit tough. Myers, this, this Klein, gets, and or Klein. You get here in the next couple, and it starts to be a little bit... Would it be easier to start at the bottom? No, not necessarily. We'll, we'll just go top to bottom. I'm going to go ahead and put... I'm going to put Klein. Number three. One, because quarterback play with, with Skylar Thompson this year, been pretty good. Not a lot to complain about. Now, granted, you can look at it like, well, hey, Will Howard was in here for a game and a half. Or, well, really two games. Two and a half games. He didn't look great, but, you know, this is still a guy that, uh, you know, came in. It's his sophomore season. Still plenty of room to, to grow there, but... Thompson looks like he's taken a big step since 2019. I don't know if I'd say a big step, but I think he's taken a, a decent step. He looks a lot more comfortable in the pocket, and I think he's making throws more consistently than he was in 2019. And, and, I, and I would agree with that. I, I don't know if I see it as big of an improvement as maybe you do, but I do see some of okay. the improvement there. Fair. So I'm going to go uh, Klein at three. Number four, I am going to go with the head ball coach, Chris Kleiman. There's climbing number four. So you're saying, wow, heck, we have got... We have Bruce, Mess, Klein, Kleiman. And of the three left to rank, we have Gene, General Myers, Klein Man. And you see that being said, and you're thinking like, wow. You put the position coaches and and one coordinator ahead of the head coach. How does that work? Well... It's my list, so I can do whatever I want. Yeah, but I uh, so shut up. Yeah, exactly right. So I'm gonna go climbing four. Now, if in the five spot, I'm gonna put Joe Clanner in there. 
And I think that um, the defense has been the biggest concern here over the last three weeks. And it's been a unit of concern here throughout this eight-game losing streak. I mean, giving up 70 points nearly to Texas, 45 points to Iowa State. You see later in this season, fast forward here to 2021, and you see a defense that looked really good for the first three games. Conference play leaves you scratching your head. What 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 are we what do we really have here? So I think he's got the most upside the rest of the year. I think he I can kind of ascend I think, up this. I, I think that's true. I, I think that's a good way to say it. But right now, uh, here on uh, you know October twenty second or twenty first rather, I um I've got uh, I've got Clandia in the five spot, number six. I'm going to go. Gosh, this is real. You're, I'm going to say it's a tie for six and seven. Mm, can't do that. Can't do that. Nope. It's my list. I thought. <laughs> Sorry. Casey underscore funny's thirty three's question. Yeah. So I'm going to go in this case, and it's made me by a razor thin margin. I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go Gene Taylor at six, and I'm going to go Myers at seven. Yeah, Gene's done a really horrible job. Well, you have to look at it here since he's taken over. Well, here's the deal. Because he well, let's put it this way. We'll, we'll talk about it like this. You know, last week I said I want climate. Fo- I don't want climate returning to veneer. Yeah. If he if he loses, you said that. Day. And then on Sunday morning, I, I wake up, stick my nose in the newspaper, and I'm I'm surprised to learn that we can't. <laughs> <laughs> that is fiscally impossible. Yeah. Uh, Actually, Clyman's buyout for you know there was some grumbling on message words and stuff. Hey, this week. by the way, switch that. Gene seven, Meyer six. <laughs> the buyout that in the extension after one season, uh, that that's cements Gene as last Woo. place. Uh, but basically, the Clyman uh, can't be fired until like the first year we could have a new head coach. Practically speaking, probably twenty twenty six. It's a lot of money he's owed. Yeah, he's owed. If we wanted to get rid of him this year, I think it's like twenty million dollars. <laughs> They're like eighteen, seventeen million. Yeah, I don't think I had that kind of chunk of change necessarily. No, yeah, I don't think I don't think that I don't think many people do. I don't think the pocket. I mean, we were there was rumors last year we were trying to figure out a way to eat the buyout of a three hundred thirty thousand dollar position coach. Um, and so buckle in because for better or worse, this is Climate's program for the next few years. Um, and so. Uh, that that cements Gene is number seven for you, and of course Richard Myers, General Myers rather, um, at out number the do- six spot. He's kind of a lame duck at this yep. point. Out the door in December. Enrollment numbers have been plummeting at Kansas State, which which you don't like to see. It's not what you want. Um, and some of that's not his fault necessarily. You have COVID in the mix, but I think I saw over the last five years seventeen percent drop in enrollment. I did have the chance to go around K State's campus. Uh, on Saturday morning, just to kind of, it was my first time really being back to really check out what has gone on on campus. And it was in a state of disrepair. It's actually very nice. <laughs> it's actually. I'm just envisioning trash cans tipped over <laughs> and the icons just shaking. Oh, no, not no, not this. This is all wrong. No, it was actually you know they they built all sorts of new um, buildings for for learning and. Uh, and uh, you know, like you, you have the Seton Hall, not the one that's maybe you're maybe more familiar with in uh, in Orange, New Jersey, but uh, they have a, a nice addition to the um, 
to the engineering, or not to the engineering, but to the architect building over there at Seton Hall. And, uh, you know, campus looks great. Student Union looks great. I haven't seen that thing fully done, I don't think, since I've been back to, to, uh, to campus. So, you know, the buildings look great. Now just need to uh, find the new president to, to really start drumming up enrollment numbers because, we, you know, when I think I graduated K-State back in 2015, they were still welcoming in incoming classes of freshmen that were the highest that K-State had seen. And, you know, that's not the case anymore. It, so, all, it all went downhill after the icon left. Well, I think you can maybe make that that uh, that statement. Yeah. You might be right about it. Certainly that. correlate. So, so we'll go through the list again real quick. Yeah. We have Bruce the Scorpion in the top spot. Courtney Messingham at number two. Colin Klein at number three. Head coach Chris Kleiman at number four. Defense coordinator Joe Klanderman at the five spot. Former general. Former general? Is that a lifetime? Don't know. Uh, in any event, Former, Richard, 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 Richard Myers Richard is, Myers, is, at, is at number six. six, and Gene Taylor, the athletic director, all the way at number seven, doing a really bad job. Go by that extension after one season, kind of tying our hands right now, and at least for the next couple you're years. Handcuffing, you're handcuffing yourself uh, to maybe uh, something that I mean it was like yeah, you maybe mentioned. there were things going on behind the scenes that we we weren't quite yeah, aware it, of. Because like there was there was some talking about Kleiman maybe being a person of interest for that Michigan State job, which by the way, Spartans top ten. Boy, you know who their defense coordinator is. I do know who their defensive coordinator is. All right. Yeah, uh, good old uh, Scotty Hazelton there. The little gremlin. You know, he would make this defense probably look a little bit better. No, you think so, but man, I, I don't know. I you know, I I've alluded to this on at least one message board and in, in, in our group chats. But, and I'm going to speak a little broad picture here, if I may. Um, it's yours. You know, I think it's clear in these first three games that K-State's not very good. They're the worst team on the field against Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Iowa State. Now, in varying degrees, I, I think that... Uh, but I think it's, it's clear that against those teams, I think the other teams had better players than us. And so I went back and, and I looked at... Um, the, uh, I was like, man, who is our senior class? Where are our yeah, class? I remember you going through this. And yeah. so I went and uh, I looked at our 2017 class, and you wouldn't believe. Oh, I would believe some of the, some of the guys we have uh, that we recruited there, just because it's it's really absurd. Um, I mean, there are 15 guys in the 2017 class. Who I've never heard of. Well, there are a lot of those guys. Like, in I, in, in, while you're, in, I don't know if you're looking for that list exactly, but, you know, the guys that are that are maybe still sticking around here, like Daniel Green, he was part of that 2016 or 2017 recruiting class, uh, one of the last ones under Snyder. He's playing for us. Guys like Wyatt Hubert were part of that class, who's obviously, you know. Exhausted, exhausted his eligibility a year early to go to the NFL. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Well, Skylar Thompson was in. He was way before that. Even. He was. He was twenty. He was 2016. 2016. He was the last quarterback, and I, I think this is true. I think Skylar Thompson is the last quarterback that Snyder recruited that has ever that will have ever taken a snap at quarterback for K State. Yeah. After him. 
You had John Holcomb, Chris John Heron. Holcomb, Chris Heron, Levi Archer, Slam, and Sammy Wheeler. Well, Sammy Wheeler's a baller. Yeah, but, he, but he's a tight end though. <laughs> right, he's, he's not a quarterback. You know who else was in that 2017 class? Lay it on me. Tavita Fajoko, Darren Bowles. Jermaine. I remember Darren Bowles playing a little bit. Very, very limited. You're slicing the salami pretty thin there, Icon. Yeah, I am. Gervarius Owens. Isaiah Stewart. I remember him. Uh, Danny Walker. Don't remember him. Uh, Cornelius Ruff, the famous running back for K-State. Xavier Davis. Spencer Misko. I remember him. We're a little over halfway through this list. Uh, Josh Brown. Anthony Payne. I remember Anthony Payne. Bill Cuddock. Bill Cuddock. Do you remember him? I do remember him. Bernard Goodwater. Remember him. Tansy Richardson. Don't remember him. Do you remember Antonio Oliver? No. Perhaps Aiden Mills? All those guys are from one class. Those are our redshirt. That's a, those are our redshirt seniors. Yeah. Um, and so on the other hand, you have guys from the 2020 class. You got seven guys in that class who are contributing. You got TJ. You got T. You got Deuce. Felix. Yeah. Um, and Felix Anaduke was a late, late, late ad. And he might be... I mean, obviously, Deuce Vaughn's going to take the uh, take the cake there as the as the kind of the star of that class. But Felix Anaduke is not maybe too far behind. Yeah, but my, my point is, is that, gosh, it'd be nice if, like, Khalid Duke wasn't our most important defensive player. It'd be nice if we had a upperclassman... Backup quarterback, yeah. perhaps, and and you know that's a that's maybe what's kind of the funny part of this whole situation is we we kind of I mean it was easy to see when the last couple of years yeah. of, of Snyder you know recruiting class hadn't been very good and really a lot of that's been kind of the same here under uh, in terms of how the star ratings and, and kind of where it matches up against other teams in the Big Twelve, but the one thing you could say about what you've seen so far with, with the classes that Kleiman and staff have brought in is these are guys that are contributing a whole lot earlier, too. Like, I mean, Deuce Vaughn's contributed since the day he was here. Yeah. Uh, Felix Anaduke, he played last year. A little, yeah. And, you know, he's made himself as a, as a viable guy. Um, but you're, you're having to rely on Nate Matlack. You have to rely on guys that are being pushed into prime time. Right. I mean, in... You know, it's so like I said, it, Nate Matlack, Deuce Vaughn, Will Howard, Felix, TJ, Hadley Panzer, T. Densa. I mean, and so you're seeing a lot of returns early on, and really guys that in a healthy program really shouldn't having to have to worry about. Oh, yeah, they, these the are guys that are, are getting these guys should be getting mop up time against yeah, getting, Southern Illinois, but shoot, our starting quarterback goes down against Southern Illinois, and that's a game. Because our backup quarterback is somebody who's really not ready to see the that, field. That's one thing football. too is is you know maybe having getting a, and it's with COVID and all that stuff you couldn't have a junior college quarterback last year to, to someone to bring yeah. in to provide some depth. You had to probably go through the t- transfer market, but you know what guys wanting to transfer to K State because they're not going to be able to probably start over Skyler. Or better yet, just we had like three or four recruiting classes where we just did it did didn't it bring one. in a quarterback who could play quarterback. Yeah. I mean, we, one of our quarterbacks was Levi Archer. 
I think user credit is a linebacker. Fine. To be fair. Fine. To but, be fair. But, but, okay, then it was Chris Herring, John Holcomb, Sammy Wheeler. I mean, that that's it after yeah. Skylar Thompson. And so, Kleiman had a lot of work to do immediately. Because while that 2019 roster was okay enough, at least at the start, and at least with some of the older guys, like the starting spot, after that, you, you drop down pretty quick. And so you're in a position where we don't really have much to speak of in terms of backup linebackers. Yeah. And, it, yeah, you can supplement that in a hurry and put a Band-Aid on it, kind of like you did with running back that first year. But with there's a lot of holes to fill over the next two or three years for Chris Kleiman when he comes in that I don't think we really appreciated at the time. I mean, he, he fixed the immediate needs in 2019, especially at running back. But in terms of the luxury of having a decent backup quarterback, not really there in 2019. Yeah. Um, and so, all that said, I think if if Kleiman can keep bringing in classes that look as productive as the 2020 class looked, at least right now, then it stands to reason that this roster is going to continue to get healthier as we progress through these next two or three years and filter in, for lack of a better term, filter out some of those classes in yep. Snyder's Twilight and start bringing in more guys like Felix and and uh, Cleve Duke and, and Deuce Vaughn and some of these players who really are across the board because not everybody's going to hit, but you, no, can't sure. have, you can't have 15 guys, guys in a class who's who legitimately, I, I follow K-State football pretty closely and, and of those 15 names, I didn't recognize any of them. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing is like, you're seeing guys that either transferred out of the program, essentially did nothing, either if they were here for a few years yeah. or, you know, they're, I mean, they're, they're no longer here, right? So, I mean, gosh, having 15 guys in a 25-man recruiting class that... And I think, to be fair... Gotta be fair. Gotta be fair. Uh, it was. I think that was a bigger class. Yeah. But the 2018 class, not a lot. I mean, there's some names you recognize in the class, but a lot of it's just... Guys who never played, yeah, um, and so, and even beyond I, in the twenty twenty class, the outside of the seven names I mentioned, there's still guys who are pretty highly thought of in the program that are eventually, you know, they're what we from what we've heard of the coaches, we think that they're gonna have have, uh, have some future. decent careers. Yeah. And so all that to say is, you know, I sobered up a little bit after being so irate at the Iowa State game. And once I realized that Kleinman was here for the long haul, kind of try to look for the sunny side. And, and I think that was, I found some solace in the fact that we don't have much of a senior redshirt, senior class to, to speak of. Um, and that's kind of handcuffing us a little bit because K-State, unfortunately, you're going to have to rely on upperclassmen a lot if K-State's going to have a successful season. Just because that's K-State's level, they can't bring in these dynamite freshmen across the board who are going to be ready to go. So it's mm-hmm. going to take a few years for them to get going. And that's what we saw in 2011, and that's what we saw in 2012, and that's what we saw in 2014. Um, and right now, we don't really have that many of those guys across the board who have just been in the program forever and are now finally doing what they can do. Um, and instead, we're having to you know, rely on... Uh, well, Deuce Vaughn, yep. who I think is great. But we're having to rely on Nate Matlack, 
having to rely on guys like Spencer Trussell, who have been in the program for a long time, but maybe not quite the caliber player you need to have out there uh, for 40, 50 snaps. Right. And so I, I think as we move forward through these next couple years, I think the roster is going to get progressively healthier, assuming we can maintain somewhere near the same level of recruiting and development and, uh, and evaluations of some of these high school guys. And I think there is uh, certainly an avenue for climbing to be successful at K-State. Well, I, I certainly hope that's the case. And you know what I kind of liked right there? It, it, I'm going to start calling maybe this final segment here of the show after Ask the Icon. Dealer's parting shot. I like that. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, and afterwards we can take a shot. Yeah. Well, Manhattan Brewing Company, we think maybe t- take a shot of the Conservation Kolsch. Hey, I love it. How about that? Yeah. Huh? Maybe the Townie. Who knows? Yeah. I will tell you, the one that stole the show for me, the Apple Batch. Love that thing. Is that like a cider or what? So it's it's uh, it's a nitro brew. It's not really a it's not a cider. It's like a nitro brew, apples flavoring with it. Not so much a cider because with the cider you think a little bit more lighter. It's full on beer. All right. So how about that? Well, love, folks, love it. that does it here for us. Uh, we'll be interested to see what kind of how it how it shakes out this week. K State needing to win in really quite desperate fashion. Yeah. Here uh, as we starting out conference play zero and four. Not healthy for anybody, uh, but one thing that you can kind of look at uh, as even if K-State does come up short again, Texas Tech, we fully expect that conference losing streak in the following week. Yeah, that, that get back on the right side of things. And maybe a special guest next week for KU. Oh. That, okay. that, gives, that gives people a reason to come back to listen to Short Side Option. That, so. uh, yeah, we, we, we've had a guest the last few years on uh, for the KU game, and I think we'll probably have him back. Yeah, we'll, we'll do our best anyway. So, folks, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Of course, again, thank you for listening. D-Lo, great to be on with you again. And uh, we'll be back next week to uh, review the Texas Tech game and look, a ho- look ahead to the Sunflower Showdown against KU next week. Sunflower Showdown. That's right. All right, folks, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option. Thanks for listening, and go Cats. <laughs>